0: Well, if you're a reader, we're going to talk books for a little while now and uh, a particular book called Red Can Origami written by Madeleine Dickey and a, a, um, a novel which is... Uh Set uh, in Western Australia, and we try to talk uh, mostly uh, about novels which are set in Western Australia because it's a, it sort of showcases, I think, uh, particularly the regions of Western Australia, and and evokes a sense of understanding, I think, of places outside Perth sometimes. So I've got uh, Madeline Dicky on the phone. Good afternoon, Madeline.
1: Good afternoon, Carl. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Lovely to talk to you. Um, you've of course uh, been around writing for a little while now, and uh, I think you previously wrote. Tropo.
1: That's right. Yep. Tell me. This tell me. my second second book. <laughs> okay.
0: So tell me about Tropo. What was that about?
1: Uh, so Tropo is about a feral uh, Australian guy who runs a surf resort in South Sumatra, and a young girl gets a, jo- a young Australian girl gets a job working at his surf resort. And before she starts the job, she hears all of these crazy stories about this guy. Yeah. So evidently he cut the fingers off a beautiful whore from Bunda Lampung for stealing. He slithered on his belly really early one morning and cut the electricity so the mosque couldn't broadcast the morning prayers. And all sorts of rumours were flying around about him. So Troppo kind of looks at the tension between the Australian surf culture and the culture in a part of Indonesia where the people are devout Muslims. So it sort of unpacks that that sort of tension and that conflict
0: And it was long listed for the Vogel short listed for the Barbara Jeffries and Dobby Literary Award and won the City of Fremantle Hungerford Award so it is a book which comes with great accolades
1: Yeah absolutely but I think it's a it's a really good read as well it's, I mean it's not a junk food book but I was really conscious of writing a book that had a fast plot that you could get totally involved in I mean I think Indonesia is a special place for many Western Australians being so close particularly Bali so Yeah, I think that's kind of, I wanted to look at some of the issues between our two countries.
0: So what got you into writing in the first place, Madeline? You you know, you talk about this being your second book. What what were you doing previously?
1: Uh, I've always been a writer. Mm. I started writing when I was seven. Mm. So it's always just sort of been this urge to tell stories. And I've actually just been in Mexico for the last couple of months. I had a writing residency there in Oaxaca and on the way home I was reading book three of Hunter S Thompson's Gonzo Papers and he had a really good line where he said something along the lines of, one of the few ways I can almost be certain I'll understand something is by sitting down and writing about it because by forcing yourself to write about it and putting it down in words, you can't avoid having to come to grips with it. You might be wrong, but you have to think about it very intensely to write about it. So I use writing as a learning tool. And I thought, wow, that's bang on. That's certainly the way that I feel, I think, about Tropo, mm. like a, a way mm. to learn more about Indonesia and Sumatra, and definitely Red Can as well, a way to really think deeply about some of the things that are going on in the Kimberley.
0: So you, you mentioned your latest novel, Red Can Origami, and it, of course, is set in the Kimberley. Um, yep. Was It sort of uh, was written on uh, Balangara country, out, out from Wyndham a little bit.
1: Yeah, that's right. So I had a couple of years living in Wyndham, which for those who haven't visited, is a tiny town of about 700 people. I think statistically it's the hottest town in Australia. Mm. And my husband and I lived in a small, one of the old Durac residences. So it was an old house yep. down at the port uh, that was open air, except for our bedroom. So we had air conditioning in the bedroom, but the rest of the house was open Just air and then you. we had an outhouse. Yeah. So... Pretty wild sort of setup. <laughs> Definitely, it was full of mozzies, rats, pythons. I think there was even a story about a saltwater crocodile that turned up in the neighbour's yard at one point.
0: There's been a so... few. There's been a few up there. <laughs> um, I've been to Windham quite a few times, and it's certainly known oh, for its great. saltwater crocs. Yeah,
1: it sure is. I think um, we were both mad keen fisher people when we were living in the Kimberley, and we there was some culverts not too far from from our house, probably 100 or 200 metres. And some evenings we could go down and drop in a, a live bait and get a barramundi for tea.
0: Well, so sounds, like, <laughs> sounds like the place to be in it. But the the, the actual book is about a, a young journalist who heads to the Kimberley, um, not, not a not a real town. I think it's a fictional town, isn't it?
1: Yeah, so she she's a, it's told from the perspective of Ava, but also in the second person. And Ava's a young woman who's just landed a job in Govinge, which is a tiny tropical town in Australia's north. Um, I think, like myself, Ava gets hooked on barramundi fishing and the beauty of country. But it's not too long before she hears about a collision between a native title group mm. and a Japanese-owned uranium mine. Mm. And this conflict or collision threatens to rip the community in half. So the action in red cans sort of sweeps from the rodeos and fishing holes of northern Australia to the beautiful dazzling streets of nighttime Tokyo.
0: And what sort of what sort of drove you to to write about conflict between, say you know Aboriginal culture and uh, and western Western mining culture? Yeah,
1: so I guess I've had six, about six years working for traditional owners in the Kimberley.
0: Mm.
1: I worked for an organisation that was set up by the Kimberley Land Council. And I, as part of this work, I had the opportunity to go to Native Title Consent Determinations, Indigenous Protected Area Celebrations, huge bush meetings attended by hundreds of people and back to country trips. Uh, I guess for me, it was a real privilege to to be working and living uh, as part of a, a living cultural landscape where people still have a continuing and powerful connection to country. And I was really also inspired by the Kimberley traditional owners, the leaders who pair political savvy with real cultural values to drive a positive agenda for Kimberley Aboriginal people. But there are also a lot of um, challenges as part of the native title process as well. And one of those challenges is that native title doesn't give you a veto over development. So that was something that I saw a conflict that I saw played out in many different instances across different groups in the Kimberley. So I wanted to explore it with a fictional native title group and a fictional mining company to look at some of those tensions.
0: Now you have you mentioned you've been to Mexico recently, um, and you've got yep. a, a couple of other stories on the go, courtesy of that particular journey.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I've been in Mexico working on a crime novel set between Exmouth and Mexico. And I've also been working on a non-fiction piece, which considers uh, representations of violence in Mexican art and manifestations of violence in the surf culture. So they're two kind of pieces that I'm going to be continuing to be stuck into now that I'm back in Western Australia. So really excited about those. And I've also actually just heard about um, some funding for a new project for next year, And that is I've just got support from the Australian Government's Regional Art Fund to work on a biography of the Kimberley Aboriginal leader, Wayne Bergman. Yeah. So Wayne and I will be working together next year on putting that together. And that's really exciting, but really scary as well. I think it's going to be a huge, huge challenge A huge job.
0: Yeah, I always find, you know, I know Wayne, I've met him a couple of times, but I can imagine that writing a biography of someone, uh, you know, and trying to get it right with them looking over your shoulder can always be a little bit uh, challenging.
1: Oh, I think, yeah, really daunting. And I think as well, uh, maybe just most concerned that that it's accurate and that it tells. Yeah. I really want to be able to tell or give voice to the story of traditional owners and make sure that those perspectives are articulated accurately. That's um, my biggest concern. But I'm sure that working closely with Wayne, I feel quite confident that the end product will will be really interesting.
0: Okay. Now, Red Can Origami is in stores at the moment. Who's it published by?
1: Fremantle Press.
0: Fremantle Press, and uh, and uh, if you're into listening uh, stories, particularly about Aboriginal culture or just about Wyndham and the Kimberley, such a fabulous place if you've never been there. One of the things, I think, Madeline about Wyndham is you have to make a left-hand turn off the Gibb River Road to go there. Most people want to go right through Kununurra and into the Northern Territory, so it's in a bit of a cul-de-sac, but such a fabulous place to visit.
1: Absolutely. I've heard it described as a sunny place for shady people. <laughs> <laughs> And I, um, also, we, uh, I think my husband Tom had um, an uncle in Kununurra and we asked the uncle and his partner over for dinner one night and he said, no, you couldn't make me come. And we said, why not? And he said, the best view of Wyndham's in the rearview mirror. Uh, I have uh, to say that I don't agree at all. It, but... it is
0: such a fabulous place, so many things to do and so much history up there. So I'd encourage anyone who's never been there to get up there and have a look. Thanks very much for your time this afternoon, Madeline.
1: Thanks so much, Carl.